0: Good morning, everybody. I am Caleb. I am uh, the most heavily and gloriously bearded member of the preaching team until they hold me down and shave me. But uh, it is good to be here together this morning. Uh, A couple specific things that I just want to start with this morning. First, I just want to give a shout out to what's been going on the last couple months up here in front with uh, Pastor Joe just bringing the heat every week. So I just want to say thanks to Joe, maybe give him a little... This is much more enthusiastic. 9.15, they're not really a Joe crowd. 10.45, much more into him. Uh, but it's just been awesome to, to have Joe here, to have him uh, filling in in this time. And, and that's important because like, like you've heard, after this uh, experience at, at 12 o'clock in this room, we're gonna be having a meeting to talk about that Fulton Heights campus, what that's gonna look like, answer questions and get a little bit more detail about it. Uh, yesterday was three months until the doors open in that place. So there's a lot to do in a short amount of time. Would love to have you stick around afterwards, even if I have to just drag this out over and over. And the last song, we're just going to keep rebooting it over and over again to make it till 12. Uh, If you are joining us online, a quick breaking news for you. We are going to be streaming that as well. So that is a change. We will be streaming it so you can uh, join us for that as well. If you were working your way here to be here anyways, Please continue to do so. We did get special permission for you to, like, brush your teeth and brush your hair while this is going on so that you can be ready to get in your car from Online World to join us. All right. So with that all said, this is an interesting time of year, yes? Um, And one thing that is going on a lot, actually, too, are weddings And graduation ceremonies, right? It's kind of that time of year these things are happening. And those are unique experiences because they are often outdoors. Um, It is hot this time of year. There's a lot of pressure and planning and stress that goes into it um, and a lot of nervousness. So lots of things go wrong at weddings and graduation ceremonies. And if you've been to enough, you've probably seen something Happened that was perhaps somewhat humorous for you watching, uh, maybe not so much for those who are participating in it. Um, I think of the unity candle that goes out at like the perfectly wrong time during the wedding ceremony, or like the groomsman that just drops. Uh, we were at a wedding years ago in South Carolina, and one of the groomsmen just went down, and they just dragged him off the stage and kept going. So it is a time that is ripe. For things to go wrong. It's also heavily videotaped and pictured. So uh, your lunch or dinner conversation today is what has happened at a wedding or a graduation ceremony that you've been at or participated in that went wrong. One of the things that we sometimes hear at graduations and weddings is also something that maybe goes a little bit wrong sometimes. So think about when you maybe have heard this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So that verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, is inherently very, very true. Yes, amen. Praise the Lord. But it is also a verse, that is often taken out of context and used graduations, weddings, whatever, uh, to maybe do a little bit more than it was intended to. And certainly you may have recently signed a card that like had that on it. So I'm not trying to like call you out or throw shade at you. I had a little plaque that someone gave me when I graduated from high school that had that on it. And it went on shelves and desks with me for many, many years and was a source of great encouragement. But... This morning, we're going to attempt to not lean too heavily into the uh, sort of Jesus is your life coach, like let's get on the blessings bus and start cashing those checks from heaven with God prospering us, okay? But we also want to err on the side of not going too far the other way, because Jeremiah 29 10 tells us that this will happen, but in 70 years. So we're going to try to not go too far that way either and just beat you over the head and tell you how awful you are, which again... It's very true, but we're going to try to balance the two of those together this morning. So I spent a ton of time trying to figure out a joke about spinal tap and the amplifiers going from 10 to 11 with Jeremiah 10 and 11, but then I realized that like pretty much no one would get it, but the few people that would get it would be so touched by the thought of it that it was totally worth going through all of this, so you're welcome. All right, so using a 1980s documentary about a fake rock band as our transition, we're going to get right into Jeremiah, okay? So that was pretty slick how I did that. All right, so Jeremiah in the Bible, would anyone like to uh, uh, verbalize a guess of the entire Bible? What percent does Jeremiah make up? The first first experience at least guessed. Five? Half a percent, it is actually 5% of the entire Bible. If you're into decimals, it's 5.2%. So if you knew 5.2, I'm really impressed. We do not spend 5% of our time in Jeremiah. And I think there's a few reasons for that. One of them is that Jeremiah is kind of hard to read. It's not really always in chronological order. It's more of a collection of stories and writings and prophecies and things like that. It's almost more of a scrapbook. Uh, but it is also written during a time of, of exile and turmoil. And there's a lot, a lot going on. And then last, to be honest, Jeremiah is kind of a bummer. He's kind of the eor of the Bible. And the book itself, and really Jeremiah's life, doesn't end happily ever after. So with that said, let's look a little bit deeper into where we're coming from this morning. Last week, Joe talked a lot about who Jeremiah was as a person. And this week I want to give you some background on what was going on when Jeremiah was was living, writing, prophesying, particularly as we get to chapter 29 and what he writes. So Jeremiah does all his work sort of at the tail end and really as as the dissolution was happening of this system of kings within God's people, uh, that being Israel. And, And to get to how we get to the end, I want to take you back to the beginning very, very briefly. So the idea of God having a people and sort of calling out those people starts with Abraham. And remember, God does this through Abraham, through a guy who's super old and doesn't have any kids, when he says, hey, I'm going to bring this great family and nation out of you. So from the very, very beginning of this people, God is showing up and God is delivering. So God promises this to Abraham. It goes through his children, through Isaac, and through Jacob, and the people of God eventually end up growing and gathering in Egypt, and they settle in Egypt. If we remember, this is the Joseph stuff, right? Because Joseph gets sold. He, he has these awful things happen, but he ends up in Egypt, and he's able to save his family during a time of famine, and they all come to Egypt, and they settle there. So God's people hang out in Egypt for about 400 years and they continue to grow in number, but they shift from sort of being a people who were living there to a people who become oppressed and a people who become enslaved. And that's where, again, God has to show up and deliver them out under the leadership of Moses out of Egypt and head them toward this promised land. But as they're getting on their journey to the promised land, they start to grumble they start to complain. They start to wish that they were actually back in Egypt. So God has them cycle in the desert for 40 years until finally they're able to go in under the leadership of Joshua. So now that God has delivered them into their promised land, delivered them from the people that are there, they start to set up this system of families and tribes living in different areas of the promised land. And as that goes on again, the people start to grumble. They start to complain. They start to become discontent. And the thing that they notice is that all the other countries around them have kings. They have human kings. And they start to think, boy, we'd like a a person to lead and to follow uh, after instead of God. And many times God gives us what we want, even if it's not necessarily right for us. And he does that. And they establish this system of kings. And as time goes on, Under human leadership, things start to go worse and worse. I don't know how much you've hung out with humans before, but we're kind of a mess. So the system of kings goes up and down, some good kings, some bad. But things continue to get worse and worse until the the, the tribes and the families sort of divide into two groups. Israel to the north and Judah to the south. If you need a way of remembering that, alphabetical order. I on the top, J on the bottom. And the northern kingdom, actually things go worse sooner and they actually get taken away and destroyed and Judah is the only one that's left. And Jeremiah is living in Judah. And one of the things that Judah has going for it, particularly in the people's mind, is Judah is where Jerusalem is. So again, J and J, if you need to remember that. And Jerusalem is God's holy city. It's where the temple is. And and it gave the folks this sort of false sense of, of reassurance that God would never let anything bad truly happen to them because Jerusalem was there. The temple was there. So Jeremiah is living in that time and in that place. And he's saying to them over and over again, we heard this last week, repent. Things are going in the wrong direction. We need to get a hold of this. And the people had no interest. This was the people who needed a surgery, but they were content to slap a couple of band-aids on it. Okay? So this is where Jeremiah is at. He's in the southern kingdom. And the, the, the geopolitical time was when Babylon was on the rise. So Babylon comes and takes away sort of the best and the brightest. And this is Daniel. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, come, they go away, they're taken to Babylon, and there's still some folks left, which include Jeremiah. And in chapter 29, he is writing letters to the people that have been taken away into exile. So, so what we see is we see a people who were stubborn, prideful they would not listen they had put their faith in political leaders and political systems that had failed them over and over again and then they had had a sudden event come and rip a whole bunch of people away from them taken to a completely foreign land where they had nothing knew not what to expect and they just wanted to go home and wanted the things wanted things to go back to the way they used to be And I hope going through all that gives you some sense of how we can relate to what was going on at that time, with the world being chaotic, with things being uncertain, wanting things to just go back to the way they used to be. Whether it be personally, as the church, as a country, as a world, this has been a pretty bumpy last year and a half. So. Chapter 29, one of the commentators I read basically uh, called it, Jeremiah writes some letters. And in this, he writes three letters, and we're going to look at the first of those this morning. Verse 1 and 3 in chapter 29 kind of give us the who, what, when, and where that we've just talked about. And we're going to talk through together in a little bit more detail the why and the how. So Jeremiah is writing for these folks really a letter of hope. He's telling them how to hope, and he's giving them a plan for hope that we're going to look through. And he gives them three things to do, and we want to look at what that can mean for us here. But, 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 so important when we look at Scripture together. We have to remember to think about what it tells us about God. Because we have to remember that the God who wrote this is the God who saved those folks, and he's the God who has saved and will save us. Our thesis for this morning, if I can give away the ending, is that when we know that God is in control, we can see and accept that we're hopeless. Therefore, we can filter out the noise and find our hope in him alone. So that's where we're going. Let's get ready to get there. All right. We ready to get into the Word together? Are you excited for God's Word? Amen. I love it. If we're going to talk about hope, there is no better place to find it in God's Word. You know, it kind of takes the pressure off, too, because we don't have to figure it out ourselves. All right. Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 4. This is is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number in there, do not decrease. Also seek the prosperity, I'm sorry, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So this is kind of an interesting first word for a people in exile who have just gone through a pretty significant trauma. Uh, God is saying through Jeremiah, build houses, plant and harvest crops, have kids, and have them have kids. The thing that unites all of those things is they all take time. So what God is basically saying here to the folks is settle in. It, it, it's going to be a while for this. And God is inviting them. He's using language here that is Eden language. He's talking to them about, about growing and reaping and settling. These are all the things that God told Adam and Eve to do in the garden. And he's inviting them in this time of exile to bring Eden to where they're at. And that's very different as far as where we start at because God is is showing us here with our first step is that we, we acknowledge the present. We acknowledge reality when it comes to the struggles that we have and to the hopelessness that we feel. We can't deny what's happened or just kind of pretend it didn't uh, happen. We need to admit that it's, it's, it's what's going on. And I think there's often a temptation to try to, like, shift the focus, to, to, to put our mind and, and our thoughts into something else or a, a new passion or a new interest and just kind of block it out by doing other things. Uh, or maybe looking at the failings of someone else and saying, oh, my, well, things may be difficult for me, but, oh, let's pray for them. They are really in need. There's also a sense that we just try to hide it. We try to put up a false sense of who we are when we go out in public, when we present ourselves online. Uh, we try to whitewash things and say that uh, the way that things are for us is, is much, much better than what's actually going on. And there's a little bit of a piece here that, that, that I, I know a secret. I know that you are not doing as good as you're acting like you're doing this morning. And you know the reason I know that is because I'm not doing as great as I'm acting like this morning. But this is the game that we play, right? How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm blessed. Uh, the pictures that we put up, the way that we reflect our lives, it's just not true. We're, we're putting out lies to everybody because it's easier than acknowledging what the, what the things are that are really hard inside right now. The other piece that we may try to do, and I am a classic for this, is we try to fix it ourselves. We take the issues and the problems that are in front of us and we say, aha, I can come up with a five-step plan to address that problem and fix it. Thank you, God. This isn't a novel concept, the idea of accepting the present. Pretty much the first step in any recovery program is to accept that you have a problem. And it certainly doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it easy or not painful. But if we want to finish the process of finding hope, we have to have somewhere to start with. And that's in acknowledging the present. So let's keep going through our text this morning, picking back up in verse 8. Yet this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you have encouraged them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So what Jeremiah is telling them here is to ignore the falsehoods and the false promises, the idea of the quick fix when things are going bad. When we're in a time of struggle or difficulty, we naturally are looking for hope. But what that creates is is this vacuum where anything can kind of come along and be that hope or that solution for us. It can be our salvation in pretty much any sense of the word. It's the idea of the mirage in the desert that we see and we think, ah, I will get there and it will fix it. And we get there and it's not even there. And I think a newer piece to this challenge is the amount of information that we have out there with technology. We can find so many things and so many things are put at us now that say this is the thing that will, that will fix everything. And we can also find anybody who will agree with the ideas that we come up with of what will fix or solve our problems. Buy this. Do this. Go there. Experience this. Be with this person. Accomplish this. These are all sort of hopes that the world and society offers to us. But if you've ever accomplished any of those things, you find that it's it's like trying to hold on to water. It goes right through and the next thing comes along that says, ah well if I do that, that will really be the thing that gets me along. And personally this is a really big uh, uh, challenge for me. I am chronically discontent. Well actually when I wrote this out, I wrote incontent and it auto-corrected to incontinent which is a very, very different situation, and maybe an overshare. Uh, But I am personally chronically discontent. I always want the next thing, the next piece to be sort of figured out. I want to sort out how to do it the most efficiently, and I kind of want to set up my Caleb kingdom with all the things the way I want them, and then be able to sit down and settle in that place. And I think that's what will do it, and I never get there, and I'm chronically discontent. Even in religion and faith, we do this a good bit. We say, read this, serve here, pray this, give that. And these are not inherently bad things whatsoever. But when it's by itself, it misses the mark of what the actual problem is. So our second step this morning as we talk about our plan for hope is to filter and resist the false hopes that are everywhere. All right. Our last section of scripture this morning, picking back up in verse 11, this is where we started. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Now this section sort of preaches itself. It's, uh, it's God's word standing on its own. Uh, and, and if we look back, our third piece is that we simply find our hope in God alone. And I hope that doesn't seem too obvious or, or like just like the Sunday school answer or sort of oversimplified. But if we look back at the passage, we sort of see what, why it's the case. This is all God doing it when it comes to our hope. He is the one who is moving. He is the one who is acting. He is the one who is providing and delivering. The solution is not us. We also can find great confidence that God has been doing this since the beginning. Even in creation, God showed up and did it with Adam and Eve and all that they went through. God was still there as we traced our way from Abraham to Jeremiah and these exiles. And as we take that and jump it forward to ourselves, God has been consistently showing up, delivering, and doing it. This isn't the idea of just like keep calm and carry on though. This is a call to repentance, repentance from us trying to do it ourselves in our own strength, and acknowledging that his way is not only good, but his way is better than ours. Hope is not something that, that we have to create or we have to discover it. It's something that we accept as a gift freely given. And we accept it by basically doing the opposite of everything we want to do in our own strength of doing nothing and simply accepting it freely. As I think about hope and I think about uh, what our hope is built in, I don't know if you folks are him folks, but it took me back. Uh, If I sing it, will you sing it with me? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Man, I was worried like revival was going to break out. That was was much better than 915, I'll give you that. Thank you, Bob. I really enjoyed the, yeah. Um, Man, it puts a song in your heart, right? God is our hope. If we retrace our steps through all the scripture that we've been through this morning, we actually see that God has been at the center at every step of the way. If we go back to verse 4, when we talked about acknowledging or accepting the present, God says there that I carried them into exile. He was there even in the exile. It was his control. If we look again to verse 9, when we talked about ignoring the the temptations, the false promises, the shortcuts, God says there, I have not sent them. God did not send. We can ignore because of God. And lastly, we just saw we can find our hope in God alone because he's he's already done it. And again, I don't want to get out of my theological depths here, but this is the idea of the already but not yet. And when we talk about the already, we're talking about how God has delivered over and over again, and how that deliverance culminated in sending Jesus down to earth to die for our sins, and then come back to life victorious. He's already delivered, but we also can look forward to him coming again and delivering us once more. And really in in Jeremiah, This is where he's going to go in the next four chapters. In 30 through 33, Jeremiah talks about this deliverance and about this redemption that would happen for those people both then, but also for in the future. So with this whole plan of hope that we've talked through every step along the way, God has been in control. We can acknowledge our hopelessness because God's in control. We are sinful people living in a sinful world. I'm sorry if that has not been made clear yet, but it's the truth. But we can live in this place, and we can live well. Remember, God encouraged them to to, to plant and to sow and to marry. We can live well because God is in control, but not because of ourselves. We can resist the lure of those false hopes because, again, God's in control. We can reject the lies and sort of the get-rich-quick schemes that get out there because he's in control. We, we, and over time, we can we can start to recognize his voice amongst others as we spend time with him, as we read, as we sing, which I just attempted to do with you, as we talk, as we discuss, as we memorize Scripture. These are not salvific acts in themselves, but they get us to a place where we can... Make our decisions not just based on our gut feeling, but based on what God has said. It's like the mother that recognized the cry of her child in the crowd when all the dads are just looking around. I think of a few years ago we had an event here and the fire alarm got pulled in the kid's area and one of the moms just popped up and started walking. She said, I know that's my kid. And it was absolutely her kid. She knew him that well to know that when the fire alarm got pulled, it was totally him. We can do all of this because God's in control. And we hope in him alone for that same reason. We lean on him. And what a place to be. What a place to be. What a place to to lean on the right person. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean there's not heartbreak. It doesn't mean there's not struggle. But it's what actually gets us through. God fulfills. God knows and listens. He finds, he restores, he gathers, and he brings us back. And that's what lets us accept, resist, and hope because he's in control. I told you our thesis at the beginning, so I didn't bury the lead. And I'm coming back to it right here. When we know that God is in control, we can see and accept that we are hopeless Therefore, we can filter out that noise and find our hope in God alone. So I want to finish this morning by doing something a little bit different, a little bit active. Uh, I'm going to have Ethan come on up here and I'm going to ask you to work those creaky knees and stand up. And we are going to go back through the scripture that we read this morning and kind of speak it over uh, ourselves And over our lives. Uh, Has anyone been to like an amen church before? Oh, there we go. We got a couple. All right. And so we're going to try to try to get a little into this. And I'm going to ask you to to exercise this amen. Because when we say amen, it means sort of so be it. So be it. Let it, let it happen. So we're going to go through each verse. And this section that we read. And I have something for each verse that I've sort of written out a little bit. And I'm going to read that for us and then we're going to acknowledge that we still hope in God because he's in control. And then I'm going to toss it back to you for the amen. But but I want it it to have some some gusto to it, okay? So none of this simple amen, all right? Do you want to practice or you feel like we got it? Okay, all right. There's a lot of momentum for this to go well. I'm feeling good. All right, so we're going to start with verse 4 from Jeremiah. When I am suffering the consequences of my own mistakes, I will hope in you alone because you are in control. Oh, When I am trying to build and live, but it is taking way longer than I thought. I will hope in you because you are in control. When relationships are hard, disappointing, or non-existent, I will hope in you alone because you are in control. When it seems like those around me are all against me and I'm, I'm lonely, I will hope in you alone because you are in control. When I am tempted by an easier way out, a distraction, a promise that seems too good to be true, I will hope in you alone, because you are in control. When your word is twisted, God, but it just fits what I want to do so well, I will hope in you alone, because you are in control. When it's been 70 years, or just feels like it's been seven years and nothing is happening, I will hope in you alone, because you are in control, amen. When the future is unclear and I just don't know what to do, I will hope in you alone, because you are in control. When I am or I just feel far from you, I will hope in you alone, because you are in control. Amen. When my heart is broken, confused, and I am lost, I will hope in you alone, because you are in control. Amen. And then last, when I have lost everything, and I'm so far away, and there are no answers, and I'm angry, and I'm sad, and I'm tired, and I'm lonely, and I've tried everything, and I'm, I'm running out of options. I will hope in you alone, because you are in control. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are in control. Simply put, end of sentence. But God, we are people that are desperate for that control. We want it so bad. And we just don't learn that when we do it on our own, it fails over and over again, God. But you are there to pick us up every time. We praise you for that, God. God, help us to accept where we're at and know that you're still with us, but it is where we're at. God, give us the wisdom to to take the things that come along and promise us the easy way out. Help us to turn from those things and do the hard work of following you. And God, be our hope and help us to find that hope in you. Because you're there. You've done it already. You'll continue to do it. And you will do it again someday. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all this. Amen.